Hey, dear listener, Anthony here. Before we hop into the show, I wanted to let you know about an incredible new resource we just released, The Five Rules of Investing. Dan and I are huge advocates of modeling the behaviors of the people who have done what you hope to do. And who better to model when it comes to investing than legendary investors like Warren Buffett, Howard Marks, and Ray Dalio? This free ebook breaks down the simple time-tested strategies of billionaire real estate investors that you can use to take your investing to the next level. So head over to InvictusMultifamily.com and grab your ebook today. All right, now let's hop into the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the pod. Today, we got ourselves a table full of lemons, and we are going to make ourselves some lemonade. But the question is, is the juice is the juice worth the squeeze? I, I lisp. Is yeah, the juice right. worth the squeeze? I do have lemonade here, actually. You do have lemonade. Look at you. So this guy, this fella, this chat, is a chat a compliment? Eh, I don't mean to, I, I don't want it. I'm not, I don't mean to be disparaging at Just all. Just call him a bro. This bro, um, Tyler, Tyler Cobble. Um, Ty? Ty Cobb. He, um, <laughs> his name. <laughs> Ty, okay, so a little backstory. Tyler is a uh, commercial broker down in Tennessee. I've met him, talked to him. We, uh, so I went down to Tennessee a couple years ago to speak in an event, and the the place that we were supposed to speak for whatever reason didn't get booked correctly. So suddenly there was like this event Oof. that we had no space for, and so somebody was friends with Tyler. Tyler's like, "Hey, I have this abandoned building." over here that we're renovating. You guys can feel free to use that. So we we went there, we did the event, spoke in this abandoned gutted building, which was actually a pretty cool space. It was like 100 degrees though Ooh. and brutal. Anyways, Tyler's a very cool dude, very creative in the deals that he does and he has a great YouTube channel. I think it's Tyler Cobble, C-A-U-B-L-E. Just go check it out. But Tyler ran a poll to his audience and he asked them, uh, what types of commercial real estate are you looking to invest in? And 44% of them said multifamily. Well, Tyler did not like that. Tyler did not like that once, one little bit. So he came and did a video that said 44% of investors are wrong. Here's why. And he spent... I'd click on that. I would click on that too. And I have not watched the video. Uh, Reed just came with some bullet points. And uh, just reading through these, these are actually some really interesting points to talk through because is multifamily dead? This is a video that we've done before is asking ourselves, is value-add multifamily dead? Is it worth doing anymore, given the current world? And so I think he brings up some good points. Let's let's do a reacts to. Let's do it. What do you think about that? Sure. Okay. What's he say? So the, the first thing he says is that there's a decrease in value-add potential in the market because of the tw- 2012 506B syndication explosion. So on the face of it, he's just saying, you know, because there's so many more people in the market over the last decade, there really are no more value-add deals to be had. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, a lot. I mean, yeah. So this got to be really popular over the last you know, decade or so. Um, this, uh, this, this structure that we utilize and a lot of people utilize open up the door for a lot of investors to come in and get exposure and just the availability of information and education means there's a lot of guys out there doing what we're doing. So there's a lot of the, the opportunities that have already been gotten, I would say. Uh, but with that said, Things age, things wear out. So you just have to give things enough time to need a refresh again, and then you can go in and redo it. Um, there's sure a lot less true value add opportunities out there now than there were, you know, eight, 10 years ago. But that's not to say that there's stuff that's a little bit weathered that needs a refresh. So, you know, give it enough time. Everything needs to have value added to it at some point. It's just, you know, that stuff that was built in, 
you know, the early 2000s is probably the new kind of value add stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I look at it as every seven to eight years, you kind of need to do a refresh on your building. And that's that on that timeline, appliances are starting to get beat up and old floors are getting worn out. The paint is, you know, cracking and all the things. Right. And so when a lot of value add multifamily people will go into a building, they go in, they do the initial deployment of CapEx to do the renovations and get the, the prices up. And then they usually look to exit in years five to seven. And one of the reasons that they look to exit in that period of time is because that is when things start to look, they, they need a refresh. And so you could either at that point leave that meat on the bone and sell it to the next group to be able to come in with a fresh infusion of capital to do the work, realize those gains. Or as the current operators, you just need to inject more CapEx into it. In a lot of cases, from an IRR perspective, if you're trying to maximize that for your investors, you're better off usually just selling it. I think that's a big part of it because I, you know, a lot of the guys... A lot of the guys that do this, I've noticed, we, we don't. We are on the side of holding things for longer. But yep. a lot of guys get in there and try to churn through deals as, as quick as possible. So there might have been a value-add opportunity building. Somebody came in, did their work, and they sold it three years later. And it's, you know, fresh and ready to go. There's no more work to be done. So someone might be able to buy that as a, you know, just like a, a cash flow machine. But um, as long as everybody just gets in, does the work, and exits real quick to try to get those juicy-looking IRRs and, you know, get their fees. Not everybody's just trying to get fees, but you know, this structure does incentivize people to churn through deals quicker. Mm -hmm. So the stuff that's coming on the market is stuff that the value as value add guys bought, added their value and are now exiting. So yeah, there's not a whole lot of work to do on those, but there's a lot of owners that have, you know, like the stuff that we buy from these guys who have uh, just been holding it. They don't have investors. It's their own money. And they just do the value add every seven to 10 years, like you said. Mm -hmm. So that stuff's still out there. It's just, there's a lot of these deals that have already been worked over sitting out there and appears to be less value add opportunities, but that doesn't mean there's no opportunities. Yeah. It's just I, they're, they're different than they used to be. And this gets into one of his next points, which is just that there's an insane amount of competition. Again, this is probably due to the prevalence of information, education, like, you know, this podcast is a really good example where, you know, we talk about syndication multifamily and as a result, it's opened the doors maybe to a lot of listeners who maybe never knew that this was possible, right? We are the problem. We have created the competition for ourselves. <laughs> and so that on the one hand, yeah, you can make an argument and say that's a bad thing because competition makes it harder for everybody to thrive. Other side of it, though, you could look at it and say, well, more competition really just points to the fact that there is money to be made there. There is opportunity, which is what attracts the competition. Yeah, you just need to be better. When there's competition, you can't, you know, slough off. You've got to actually be competitive. So I think the way around that is not trying to spread yourself across the entire country and do a deal here yeah. in Nashville, do a deal in Florida, and then do a deal in Arkansas. You've got to develop some really deep relationships and uh, really get to know the, the owners and the brokers in a particular market so that you get the stuff before competition sees it and the competition maybe never sees it. So. Yeah, this, this goes back to something we talk about all the time, like what's your unique advantage? What's your edge? You know, for us, that's we only invest in the Twin Cities. And we know this market, you know, vertically integrated. Those are great things. If you're looking to invest remotely, you're a capital raiser and you're just partnering with a bunch of different people in five different markets, then maybe you don't have a competitive edge. You're just a capital allocator at that point. Um, but there is, I think there's a ton of opportunity still here. So... I don't see the competition as a downside. I think there's always room at the top for the best. And you just got to look at how do you improve your game. And one of the interesting things, though, is I still think the bar for, for bar for success, despite the competition, is still really low. 
Yeah. So very, very low. So you can, you can trip over that bar and still do really well. Okay. Uh, he says cap rates are some of the lowest they've ever been. Well, this is, I think an unfair one in the sense that, um, regardless of what commercial real estate you're really going to come at me with, this is probably going to be the case across the board, but I would actually say over the last year, we've seen softening of cap rates. So I don't think they're as low as they've ever been. It's really tough to tell where cap rates are right now. I mean, if things aren't trading, Mm -hmm. which they really hadn't been for the better part of this year, and they're starting to trade now, um, you know, or I've noticed when trying to pull sales comps, uh, some of these deals we're working on that you'll see a wide range of cap rates, right? And they could vary wildly based on the capital structure of the deal. So if you're able to get some seller financing at some really great terms, like, yeah, you can afford to pay a five cap where in our market, you know, a couple of years ago, these were five cap assets we were playing with. But when rates are, you know, seven, seven and a half percent, you can't really afford to pay a five cap price point. And so you're going to see things trading six and a half to seven percent cap rates. And then also things trading at five cap rates and the quality of the asset is effectively the same. But if the capital structure allows it, then, you know, so I guess the point I'm trying to make is, it's really tough to tell where cap rates are actually at in a market where there's not a ton of transactions. You don't have a lot of data points to say, here are the market cap rates because they're all over the board right now. And that's always been kind of, cap rates are a tricky thing. I don't put too much interest into that, but his next point here about, he says, interest rates are high, giving very little justification for investing capital into value add right now. So increasing your NOI is difficult. What I actually find really interesting about this is I think from an interest rate perspective, it's better to do the value add when interest rates are high and you think there's a potential for them to go down. Because when the interest rate is high, that means initially your cash flow is going to be taking a hit. But it's more likely that when you go to sell, if we're buying at high interest rates and you think it's going to be you know, lower next year or two years from now, that's a good thing for your valuation. The reverse, you know, five years ago when you're buying at three caps or 3% interest rates and it can really only go one direction, then your valuation is maybe not going to be as strong as it could be. So I actually think like this one, given our current market environment, I think he's completely wrong on it. I think he would have yeah. been better off with this video two years ago. Hundred percent, yeah. But that's the kind of the the inverted psychology that people tend to have when they're investing is they they're selling things when they ought to be buying, and they and they're buying things when they ought to be selling because people get caught up in the euphoria when the market's running hot, whether it's stocks. You know, people are buying things at the top, and then when everyone's freaking out and there's blood in the streets, that's when they're selling. But really, the the appropriate thing to do is the opposite. It's just very counterintuitive for for humans to actually behave that way. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of it takes a lot of control to behave in a way that feels so wrong and scary at the time. Yeah. So you've got to avoid the hype and then get in there when everyone else is telling you that um, 44% of <laughs> investors are wrong. And when, when you see stuff like this, this is usually a sign that that's when you ought to, ought to start taking a look for opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He said, this is an interesting one. And, you know, given the high interest rates, he's saying you're really just going to be purchasing low cash flow assets, sitting on them and then hoping things change. And, you know, on the one hand, I, I see the argument here, which is that high interest rates do cut into your cash flow. It is, it is not much you're going to be able to do there unless you can buy at a great price. Like your cash flow that you can get now is probably a little bit less than what you could have gotten two years ago with interest rates being half of what they are now. Um, Theoretically, you would have paid more two years ago, though. Exactly. So I don't know. Like it's all a teeter totter seesaw. Um I don't think buying the assets with low cash flow and then sitting on them and hoping things change. I think, I mean, that kind of flies in the face of the value add model, which is going in there doing the renovations and not just sitting on them. So I don't know. I think that one's kind of a cherry picked 
scenario where are you just buying a building and not doing anything with it? Have we just given up on value add? Because the truth is value add opportunities are still there. So, and then, all right, one of his last points is he has friends telling him that they're getting 8% annualized cash on cash returns and 12% IRRs. And he says, but that's basically less than the stock market. So why risk buying an apartment complex, do all the work involved just for those returns? That's, yeah, that's interesting. I, I haven't seen a deal that does an average cash on cash of 8%, but that only has an IRR of 12. Those can't be right. I mean, that's got to be like that's, zero appreciation, yet high cash flow. Which you wouldn't be getting in this market. It's weird. It, so, yeah, this one's weird because I do agree that interest, uh, internal rate of return, your IRR, is probably lower on deals right now than it was you know, previously. But I would still think you're getting between 14 and 16% multi on a value-add multifamily pretty consistently. The 8% cash on cash, I actually think that's probably lower in mm-hmm. like the 6 to 8 range. I don't think a lot are going to be producing like a 16% IRR with 8% cash on cash. I think you're yeah. looking more like 6% cash on cash with like 16%, 17% IRR. Mm-hmm. I think the days of saying 20%, 25% IRRs, um, projected on marketing decks. I think those are probably not <laughs> realistic right now. It's entirely possible if we see a, a significant amount of cap rate compression and interest rate moderation, yeah. but you don't want to don't wanna lead with that. Yeah. that. That's a hope. It'd be great if it happens. I, re- I think it will, but we're not going to put that in front of people and say, here's what we actually think is going to happen because that you're, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that um, it, you can't really compare this to the stock market in an apples apples way. Because let's say this this deal that he's talking about, or this theoretical deal with the eight percent cash on cash plus twelve percent IRR, yeah, that that could be close to the stock market. I'd argue that you know you're not going to find anything that has a, a dividend payout of eight um, percent. So that's not going to be found if you're going to get yield from the stock market. It's probably going to be like three. But yeah. Historically, we've seen eight to ten, maybe twelve percent annualized returns in the market, but that's before taxes. And the tax dynamic of these types of deals is much different. So once you add the tax factor in, it's still going to be better. Even with this theoretical deal, if you consider the tax components, this would still be better than the stock market for most people. Yeah, yeah. And at the end of the day, I would. It depends on what type of investor. This is really like. If you're trying to make the argument that um, this person getting 8% and 12%, that they're an active investor, I think that's bullshit. This, so that must be a passive investor. Yeah, that's an LP. That's an LP, sure. right? So if you're, if you're looking at what can you passively do with your capital, should you put that in the stock market or should you put it into multifamily or commercial real estate in general? I, I don't think it has to be an either or. I think it can be a both and. And so... If you're looking at this as an active investor, then these returns are way, way too low. And but that's a different thing entirely. Mm-hmm. So from an LP's perspective, I don't think it, I don't think there's any sense in just throwing one out and having all allocation in the other. And we never recommend that anyway. No. Like you like, need some kind of liquid investments. We're we're very pro real estate, but we're not that pro real estate. Um, and at the end of this all, like um, his recommendation is flex spaces instead of multifamily. What's a and flex space? That's a good question. Um, from what I know of Tyler Tyler's portfolio and what he has done, he does some really interesting things with spaces. For instance, they took a car wash, like an old car wash, and gutted it and then renovated it into like a micro kitchen. 
So each one of the stalls had a different kitchen. It's like a food food court. Yeah. Food hall. So he'll do stuff like that. And that's very, I mean, that's going to be a very high cash flowing um, asset, but that's very different. Like you're, you're going in with a, a business application for this thing. Yeah. And there's so many risks. There's so many difficulties inherent in that. He does a great job with it. Um, I think he's really pro on the industrial space. I think that's really where he cut his teeth over the last few years. And yeah, industrial is great too, but I think industrial is actually because people are getting turned on to it over the last couple of years. I think it's going to be experiencing a lot of the same issues that multifamily Mm -hmm. has, which is more more competition and then we'll see compression. Yeah. There's going to be reverberations of these issues in every market. Obviously office is getting the brunt of it. Multifamily is, is, you know, still doing a lot better than a lot of these things, but I've said it a bunch. I'll say it again, that you can do really well in like every single asset class. So it's not like multifamily is better than industrial or whatever. It's, they're all great. You just have to figure out like which one makes sense to you and which one clicks where you're like, Oh, okay, I get this. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause there's not one that's better than the other. It's just, there's going to be some that just kind of jive with you more. Yeah, I think that's the end. Uh, and I, and I, I would be really interested to talk to Tyler and ask him, like, are these his genuine opinions? Is he really not going at all into multifamily, have any interest into it? Or is this more just like, are you giving the, the, the steel man case against it so that you can push people towards the flex? Or like, He's what? just putting out content. I think it's, it's, I think it's content. content. Um, it gets people to click. But we did it. We actually did a variation of this a while back on the pod where we looked at, you know, is multifamily value add dead? Yes. We came to the conclusion it was. Kind of. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even remember what we said on it, but. I mean, we pretty much brought up all the same points, which is, you know, the because so many people are in this space now, there's no more value adds to be had um, at the, the returns and the amount of work that goes into it. Would we be better off just doing new development? Like we, we explored all these different angles. So go check out yeah. that, uh, that episode. But, um, well, Tyler's just, a great guy too. Tyler really knows his stuff and I don't want to throw him under the bus. So definitely go check him out. You can learn a lot from that dude. Yeah. Yeah. It's just different than it was. I think back up 10 years ago, you could throw down some basic flooring, swap out a couple of appliances and, you know, Jackie rents 150 bucks. Right? These days, labor costs, material costs, like we said before, competition, like you've got to be a lot more strategic and, 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 and uh, dialed in on these renovations because the cost of doing them is, is much higher than it used to be. And those premiums you're going to get are not as big as they used to be. Mm-hmm. So it's, you got to have, you know, good teams, good hookups with materials and be able to do things fast and effectively to actually be able to churn a profit these days. So, and this, this does bring up an interesting thing to consider, which is, a lot of the information that's available out there, um, a lot of the gurus, and I'm, I'm not saying that derogatorily, like like the educational coaching programs. Ty Lopez. Uh, Ty Lopez. Yeah, I'm thinking. You know, I'm thinking of like, <laughs> um, you know, I coach for Jake and Gino, so I'm not throwing them under the bus by any means. But you know, Rod Cleef, you got the Michael Blancs, you got Jake and Gino. Like they, these guys, they really they're like the big names in the education community within multifamily, and they all kind of pitch and teach a very similar model of value-add multifamily that they all fell into or evolved into during that kind of 2012 to 2020 period. And that's when, and then they started getting education. So a lot of what they teach is very accurate for what got them there. But given the changing market dynamics and everything, you can't just take the same playbook that they applied and expect it to work for you. It's in a lot of ways it can, but you need to be aware of like the ways that it's different. 
Very different, very different. I actually just saw a clip of Ty Lopez. Uh, I think it was today, actually, <laughs> um, where he was he was selling. Uh, he s- sold a course on literally everything, but he was selling a course on. Uh, it was like a live stream. He's trying to sell a course on on real estate investing. Oh, and uh, one of the people in the live stream popped up and was asking him, and they're trying to you know kind of trip him up and and show that he's just a charlatan and he's trying to hawk courses on things he truly doesn't understand and. The guy asked him, like, what's the definition of a cap rate? And he tried to beat around the bush and get around it, but he, he couldn't tell them. And he was literally <laughs> trying to sell a course on real estate investing, and he didn't know what a freaking cap rate is. So I mean, in fairness, stay away from those guys. Fairness, cap rates are kind of confusing, kind of hard to explain. So. NOI divided by price. Shh. Very simple, Ty. <laughs> <laughs> we don't do math. Knowledge. Knowledge. Okay. All right. Uh, don't, yes. don't sue us, Ty. Um, Please do, actually. Sudan. No, leave that's me great. Out, leave, leave me out of this. <laughs> and Ensign. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of Multifamily Investing Made Simple. If you enjoyed the show, could you do us a massive favor? Head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and review. Your feedback, it means the world to us as it helps us grow and spread the word about multifamily investing. And don't forget, sharing is caring. So fire this episode over to any friends or family who you think could benefit from learning all about multifamily investing. Thanks, guys. We appreciate every single one of you, and we'll see you on the next show.